For the ones who know that a little late is always too late, and that the clock doesn't stop just because you're missing a part, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, and our KeepStock inventory management solutions help ensure you have the right stuff in the right place at exactly the right time. Visit Granger.com/keepstock to learn more. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, thanks for the download for the stream. If you're just listening in your buddy's car right now, thank you for lending me your ears for a moment. But I need you to go a little bit of an extra mile. If you enjoy Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, help me make it as successful as I possibly can by, first of all, making sure you hit that subscribe button, whether it's on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Android, whatever you're doing. Hit the subscribe button to make sure that you get to download Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast each and every week. Then... Head on over to iTunes, hit the five stars, and give it a review. Five-star rating and a review. You can write a million things. Oh, my God, I love your podcast. You know what? I thought I hated Sam Roberts, but the podcast isn't that bad. You know what? Sam Roberts is pretty cool, but the podcast sucks. Yay, man, I love the guests. Hey, I hate the guests. Whatever you do, put five stars next to the review, and it will help me out more than you can possibly imagine. Okay? Do your part, and I'll do mine. What's my part? Presenting to you this week's Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Boy, oh boy, what a week, what a week, what a week, what a week. What a time to be alive, what a time to be a fan of professional wrestling. And that's what we're here to talk about is pro wrestling. It's Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, and I appreciate all of you being here once again. It's been uh, it's been a really fun week to be Sam Roberts. And I hope to be people who listen to Sam Roberts, because that's who you are. And I'd love for you to have a fun week as well. You know, I don't usually check the, the iTunes rankings i don't exactly know like like how those rankings are are made or built uh, uh it's it, it can be elating if that's a word to become elated is it elating it can be something that makes one elated or it can be something that makes one very very frustrated it can be a nuisance if you check it oh i was 28 before and now i'm 32 i don't understand i have more downloads i don't know what they're based on but i don't check the numbers in general or at least i try not to because that's not what the podcast is about. That's not why we started doing the podcast. And I think that if you're doing a podcast, you should figure out why you started doing it and do it for that reason the entire time. This podcast has become pretty successful, but I'm I, I, I can't, you know, let the podcast dictate the success of the podcast dictate what the podcast is, because that's not why the podcast is here. Does that make sense? So I, 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 if I check the numbers too much, if one is to check the numbers too much, I feel like you end up uh, not being a, even a fan of wrestling anymore. You're not a fan of pro wrestling. Instead, you're tuning in Monday night so that you can have something to talk about on the podcast this week, and you're just staring at the boob tube trying to figure out what your hot take is that's going to make all the, all, the, all the wrestling websites be like, oh, did you hear what Sam had to say this week? As opposed to just watching the shows and going to shows because you enjoy them. And then being like, ah, man, I want to talk to some wrestling fans about this stuff. Let me turn this mic on and talk to them. That's what the podcast is all about. So that's why I don't really look at numbers. I more think about, 
you guys. Like I, I love the fact that uh, there are uh, some of you out there. I love the fact that there are more of you out there now than there ever have been. I love uh, meeting people at, at wrestling shows or not. I love standing online in Chipotle and looking at someone who shows me their phone and they're listening to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. It happens, and I love it. That's what I love, knowing that it's uh, that the show is resonating on that level. But my dad is a numbers guy. My dad checks all the numbers of everything that I do. I mean, it's it's masochistic what he does. He goes on Twitter and searches at not Sam for at mentions. And then like if I go over to my folks' house for dinner, he'll be like, oh my God, I saw this funny at mention. They say they compared you to Art Garfunkel, except said you had a worse hair a worse hairline. I was like, Dad, I came I came for the chicken. You know, I didn't realize I was going to have to stay for the uh, uh, for the ragging on. Okay, I I, I've, I I'm able to avoid these things, but now you internet trolls are successfully invading my space by going into my family's house because of my dad. So I thank you for that. But it does come in handy sometimes. I went over to my dad's house over the weekend and. He informed me that something must have happened because after three years of doing Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, we've had our moments where we've been at the top of the charts. We've had our moments where we've been, you know, the podcast everybody's talking about, and and it's awesome. But a lot of that stuff comes early or whatever. Like, after three years, you kind of settle into your audience, you settle into your pace, and you do what you do. My dad told me to open iTunes, and over the weekend I saw... That Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, our podcast, not my podcast, our podcast, was the number one wrestling podcast in the world. I don't know how it happened. I don't believe that you guys are still doing this. It was after last week's episode and then the State of Wrestling bonus show where we talked about Kurt Angle coming back and AJ Styles going over to Raw for the Finn Balor match. Something in there resonated to the point where it made Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast the number one show. And I mean, I don't even, I'm flabbergasted that this show is even in a conversation that anybody has amongst greats. And I'm talking about greats. I'm talking about Stone Cold Steve Austin and Chris Jericho and Jim Ross and Bruce Pritchard. You know, that this little podcast, this rinky-dink operation that we're doing here out of the Not Sam Studios is ever in a conversation that anybody has with those podcasts is so unbelievably humbling to me. I just I have to say thank you to all you guys for for making this show an amazing life experience for me and I hope to be able to make really cool stuff for you guys to put on awesome shows and events and 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 give you guys looks uh into things that I'm able to give you looks into. I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm very uh, grateful for everything that you guys did to, uh, to put the podcast where it was over the last weekend. So thank you so, so much. Uh, we got a big show this week. A lot to talk about. The, the Raw SmackDown rivalry that kind of, I mean, you know, you want to, the idea is that it's been going on since the brand split, but in reality, it started this week, right? I didn't, I'm the, here and there, Oh, blue team blue, team red, a little bit, but not really, you know. And in terms of actually people caring and there being a rivalry, it just kind of started this week. And that was very controversial. Uh, I heard uh, friends of mine with differing opinions, and that's always interesting. Uh, Wade Keller, for instance, a friend of the podcast, hated 
hated, in my perspective, I was reading on, on his website, he seemed to have hated uh, what happened on Raw. Dan Soder, a friend of the podcast, loved what happened on Raw. So I'm going to talk about uh, the, the, the Raw under siege and what it meant for SmackDown as well as everything that happened on Raw and SmackDown this week. Uh, lots to talk about all over, all over this grand, grand world of, uh, of wrestling. Of course, Jeff Jarrett officially being gone from GFW. We'll get into that uh, and a whole lot more. But first, the interview segment this week. I don't know how many of you were following me on Twitter, but I teased that just this week, yesterday, at the time of this recording, I found an interview that I did in 2010 with Stone Cold Steve Austin. A lot of people, when I meet them, they ask about uh, my career path. You know, because I think there are a lot of people who would love to be interviewing wrestlers. And I don't forget that, by the way, that, that I'm kind of uh, pretty fortunate to be in the position that I'm in because I think a lot of people would like to host a wrestling podcast and do a show on SiriusXM and do this stuff. So a lot of times people will say, you know, do you have any advice? How do I get to do what you did? And I, I, I talk to people about that stuff. But the thing that I think everybody needs to remember is that uh, I've been doing this a long time. And some of you know exactly how long I've been doing it, and some of you just kind of stumbled upon me and, and have no clue. But, you know, we're, we're 15 years into the not-Sam dynasty at this point. Uh, and to me, I don't think things were always as smooth. Uh, I, I've been working at SiriusXM for a while, and working at SiriusXM gave me opportunities that I probably wouldn't have had otherwise. The opportunity to interview people that I wouldn't have gotten to interview otherwise. And that happened for me in 2010. This was seven years ago. A little more than seven years ago. This is March of 2010. Stone Cold Steve Austin came up to Sirius XM and he was promoting a movie that he was in and I had the opportunity to interview him and we were going to run it, I don't know, somewhere on our channel at the time, I'm sure. I don't know if this ever aired. I, I found this. I know it's never been online or on the podcast or whatever. The video is nowhere. But... I, this was the first time I believe that I interviewed Stone Cold Steve Austin. And, you know, I think that you see a lot of people, and by the time that they're put in front of eyes, by the time that there's a big audience to look at them, they've uh, had the opportunity to hone their skill a little bit. They're better than they were because the years, you know, to, to be great at anything, you have to do it for 10,000 hours. And for most people, most of the beginning several thousand hours are done in front of no eyes. For me, because my first job in radio, well, one of my first jobs in radio was uh, an internship with Opie and Anthony, which at the time was a giant show. Most of what I've done is documented. Most of my, of my learning, as far as broadcasting goes, as far as my road to becoming the last professional broadcaster, most of that was done in front of thousands of people. And I think that that's good. There's no hiding anything with me. There's, there's, there's no like, oh, you know, I was born doing this or that or this or that. I'm not even that good now. But I was much worse, much, much worse several years ago. And that includes seven years ago in 2010. I was listening to this interview and it's embarrassing. I really, <laughs> I thought I sucked. It was like, you can listen to it and... I'm talking through my nose. My voice is way more high-pitched. And it's because I'm nervous. Because I'm standing in, fr in front of this person who's like an idol of mine, and I don't know what to talk to him about, even though I know everything to talk to him about. 
but my voice is way up high. I'm talking through my nose. You'll hear it in the interview. I'm asking him way more questions than I have to about his movie because in my head, I'm like, oh, oh, okay. He's here to promote the movie. So, so I, I, I better make sure that I ask him about the movie. When in reality, Stone Cold Steve Austin is a cool dude. If you just kind of hang out, you talk to him a little bit about the movie, and then you just, you know, shoot the shit a little bit, talk about wrestling, do what you do. You're cool. I'm sure eight years from now, by the way, I'll look back at these podcasts and thought and think, Jesus Christ, you had no idea what you were doing. But in 2010, I really had no idea what I was doing. I've made fun of a lot of people on the radio for a long time. Um, and I think it's important at times to throw yourself under the bus because what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Does that make sense? That's why I decided this week on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, this is very risky. We're going to take a walk down memory lane. I'm going to play for you an interview that I recorded with Stone Cold Steve Austin, the lost interview in 2010. This was before I met him. I know the guy now. You know, we, we've communicated. We can, we, 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 when, when I talk to him now, we have rational conversations like two people. In 2010, oh, was I a wreck? Was I a wreck? And please feel free to tweet me. Most of the time, when you tweet me terrible things about the interviews that I post on this podcast, I get very, very upset. This week, tweet me every terrible thing that I did. Isolate the clips if you want to. Share them with the world because the world needs to understand. The last professional broadcaster at one point was anything but professional. I mean, this is a lousy interview, and it's this week's interview. Stone Cold Steve Austin and a mousy Sam Roberts from 2010 on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. I'm probably going to regret this, but let's go to it. And now, the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast interview. All right, we're here with the legend himself, Stone Cold Steve Austin. How are you, Stone Cold? Check, check. I'm doing good, <laughs> man. Testing one, two, three. I'm doing good today. I'm having fun while I run around New York City and yeah. uh, promoting the movie Damage. So do you go by Stone Cold now that you're you're an actor, or is it just Steve Austin? You know, in Monday Night Raw, I love being Stone Cold Steve Austin, but you know, after that show, we didn't roll credits, and it didn't say at the end of Raw... Stone Cold Steve Austin, played by Steve Austin. Right. You know, and, and still, a lot of times in doing the publicity or anything that I do, I get introduced to Stone Cold Steve Austin. Uh, but, you know, that'd be like saying, okay, we've got Rocky, Rocky Balboa and here right. to talk about his new movie, The Expendables, yeah. where he plays Barney Ross. So, you know, I'm always going to be called Stone Cold. It goes with the territory. It was just a, a very strong character that, you know, I had a lot of success and a lot of fun, and people live vicariously through him. So uh, I've been called a lot worse, and I, I'm happy being called either Stone Cold or Steve Austin, but I always label my movies, or I'm always credited as being Steve Austin. Now, you legally changed your name to Steve Austin, correct? I did. I did, and that was just to really to eliminate, eliminate a lot of confusion. Uh-huh. And uh, it wasn't done because I wanted to always be Steve Austin. It was just done for some legal reasons. Okay. Uh, so, so you're in damage. It's just a, it's a kind of badass fighting, underground fight club type of movie. Uh, there's a lot of fighting in it. And I was kind of wondering while I was watching it, how is it adapting to movie choreography fighting as opposed to wrestling where wrestling is just 
live boom 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 in movies is just a little more slow paced. It's a it's a lot different because you know you want to be able to uh, you've got to set your lenses up to cover all the, the angles. I mean, when you're throwing punches at a guy's face, now I broke a guy's nose in this face. <laughs> in this movie, I wasn't supposed to break his nose. It was yeah. an accident. Uh, but I should have never been close enough to break his nose. It was my fault. But, you know, in, in pro wrestling, you really hit the guys. You just kind of pull back a little bit. And then, you know, you're in, in a ring, you're never fighting for a camera. You know, I'll, I'll never pick a hard camera or, you know, guys with the handhelds. I just go out there and do my job or I did my job and let them film accordingly. Right. Uh, you know, you've got to be in line. And, and there, there's so many technical things to think about when fighting for film. Uh, sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. But, you know, uh, as I keep doing these movies and now I've done uh, three or four back to back, starting to get a swing of things, you know, not only just for the acting and the dialogue, which I, I really love, but a sense of uh, the best uh, way to fight for camera and, and watching, especially Sly Stallone and filming The Expendables, watching right. how he goes about his business and, and filming great fight scenes, which he's known for. So The Expendables, that's the big movie that's coming out in the end of the summer, right? Comes out, I think, last I heard was uh, August 13th, 2010. And, uh, you know, uh, the adrenaline, testosterone, bullets, bombs, explosions on the set of that movie were, were incredible. You know, and that's before you even talk about the all-star action hero cast that's in it. So yeah. it's going gonna, it's gonna to be probably the, the coolest big-budget movie of 2010. I'm not going to pick it over Damage, but, you know, <laughs> I'm here to talk about Damage. But as far as a big studio movie, uh, Expendables is the bomb. So Damage is out on DVD now. Before Damage, you did The Condemned. Before that, you were in The Longest Yard. All three of these movies, your character is either in jail at some point or working in a jail. What's, what's with the uh, the jail theme running through your movies? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, my outlaw uh, past is catching up to me. I don't know. I, it's just uh, I think it's just a coincidence, and uh, and or, or maybe that being said, it's a uh, it's uh, a a little bit of a comfort zone for me to, to maybe come from that world. I think uh, uh, I was an expert at being Stone Cold Steve Austin and very successful and uh, on Monday Night Raw and being that guy. As I try to, uh, you know, delve further into the the field of acting and and try to to hone my acting chops, uh, I I want I look forward to the day where I can pull off any character from any background yeah. and with with uh, different levels of uh, depth and uh, you know a, a believing a believable character with many different qualities or flaws. But I guess uh, coming from the jailhouse background is as a is a starting point for me and uh, a place for me to move forward from. That said, uh, right now you're on the action route. Do you see yourself moving away from action and doing the, the Tooth Fairy type movies that The Rock has decided to do with his time, or, or are you sticking for action right now? Hey, I think The, the Rock uh, uh, makes interesting choices and the choices that, that, that he lives with, and uh, I can respect that, and I respect him uh, as a man. I've known him for a long time. Uh, I, I am comfortable doing the action movies. I want to be comfortable doing any kind of movie, mm-hmm. but I think uh, that being said, I need to... Uh, make smart decisions as well and take care of my hardcore fan base, you know. Yeah. Uh, quite honestly, you know, I know that I'm not Marlon Brando. I <laughs> hope to be as close to Marlon Brando as I can by the time I get through with this endeavor, but uh, I'm in front of a movie camera because of my wrestling background, and that's my biggest catalog of work. So uh, I think it's an area that I, I do want to focus on initially. And uh, if I can make uh, 20, 30 more action movies, I'll consider myself a lucky guy. Yeah. If I get a chance to step out of the box and do something a little more humorous or comedic, then that would be a breath of fresh air and maybe endear me to a whole different level or a whole different audience. But uh, I just want to make good movies, you know, whether it's action, comedy, this, that, or whatever. I want to make good movies that I have fun doing and that my fan base, my old fan base, my core fan base, or my new fan base that I hope to grow enjoys. 
you're obviously very humble when it comes to your acting and stuff because you know you're saying you're learning it as you go. Was it hard to when you, you first jumped into acting? You were kind of new at acting, but you were so well respected in the wrestling industry. You were already a legend. Was it hard to come into acting where you were kind of the new guy again? Well, it's just different because you know to to be at the level that I was at to take uh, the world of professional wrestling to a zenith, which it uh, had never seen before. And, uh, you know, quite uh, frankly, no one thought would surpass what Hulk Hogan did in the 80s and yeah. what I took it to. And that's just what you do as time goes on. You can take things to a, a bigger, better, and higher level. Uh, and then to, it's, uh, I don't want to say humbling because you, you always have to start somewhere. It doesn't matter how good you were at something else. When you're doing something different, you got to start at the same spot. Sure. And uh, so it's, you know, starting off the 101 level and, and wanting to get uh, as good as possible. I want to be as effective or as good in front of a movie camera as I was in front of a WWE camera. But I think, you know, in anything you do, you know, repetition is the key. And you, you, you learn by working with people that are better than you, smarter than you, and more experienced than you. So, yeah, I, I take it, you know, I know where I'm at. And I, I, I do believe in myself. I, I think I have talent and I think I have ability. But you gotta you gotta crawl and then you get, then you walk and then you run and that's what I'm trying to do right now. You gotta, you got to make it look like it's uh, really smooth and really easy and really relaxing. Who are some of the people that you've uh, learned from doing this? Well, and just working with Sly uh, yeah. uh, would be you know probably the, you know the biggest budget movie that, that I've worked on and you know with such an all star cast. But watching how how he runs his business, how how he directs, how he acts, you know um, what what he what he does. And then, uh, you know, my boss in the movie was Eric, Eric Roberts. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, the other guys were the Expendables. They were the heroes. Me and Eric Roberts were the villains. And we'd sit over and tell dirty jokes and laugh our asses off while the, they, they were doing their coverage. But I would pick that guy's brain eight, ten hours a day, and he would answer questions for me. And uh, complete sweetheart and one of the fun, funniest, craziest guys I've ever met in my life. Uh, but I was uh, fortunate to be able just to sit there and pick his brain, uh, who I consider Eric a grade-A actor, and, uh, you know, see what he does to go about his business. So it, it was a, it was a very interesting experience. I would say those two guys initially off that set. And I did talk to Mickey Rourke for about 45 minutes, and he was, you know, a real cool guy and uh, brought me up to speed on a lot of things. But, you know, it takes time to learn this job. It sure. takes time to learn it. But, you know, you got to start somewhere. So you were back on Raw recently promoting uh, Damage coming out on DVD as the guest host thing. You said in the other interviews that you've done that it was a little weird being back and stuff. When you got back there and got in the ring, was it reassuring to you knowing that, okay, maybe going into acting was the right move? Oh, you know, I I think, uh, yeah, going into acting was the right move. And it didn't have anything to to do with going back to uh, San Diego to to do Raw. You know, I was there to promote damage. They were two weeks out from doing WrestleMania. Their their sites are focused on on what they had to accomplish, mine and what I had to accomplish. Uh But the reason, you know, you know, I'm pretty honest that the reason I got out of professional wrestling was because my body said, hey, Steve, you've had enough. And and like I tell everybody, and it's also true, that I, I could get another couple of years out of my body. I could, but why? You know, I, I had a very physical, aggressive style. I took hard, fast, quick bumps. Uh, you know, the pile driver in 96 or 7, whatever it was, you know, took its toll. Now I'm, I'm 100% as, do, as far as doing normal human being stuff. Right. But it was time for me to ride off into the sunset uh, and uh, preserve my health, and uh, I want I want to live an, an active life for ten to twenty, thirty more years, doing the stuff that I do, riding my dirt bikes, four wheelers, and the, the outdoor stuff that I love to do, uh, and for a long, long time. And uh, it was just it was time. It's it's a rare thing, kind of in wrestling, for somebody to leave when they still got a good couple years in them. How does it make you feel when you see someone like 
Hulk Hogan, who's who's back to getting in the ring when he can't even he can't do the leg drop anymore. You know, <clears throat> is that kind of? It's interesting. You know, I I get um, asked the question: Is he is he ruining his legacy? And I think uh, I've always respected what that guy did with his career. I mean, uh, an unbelievable uh, box office draw and a a charismatic performer that so many people grew up and idolized and. Uh, a lot of respect from him and, and, and that, and, you know, as far as what he did. But, you know, I don't like to talk too much about, you know, what some of these guys are still doing in the ring. That's a personal decision. Sure. You know, I made mine to get out, and I live with that decision. I'm cool with it. And I'm sure he's he's cool with what he's doing uh, if he's if he's still doing it. Uh, you know, me and, me and uh, Terry don't trade phone calls. We're not the best of friends. Yeah. We're not enemies. Uh, people say what they want to say or try to stir up animosity. I don't hold anything against uh, the guy. At the end of the day, you know, we're, we're two of the guys that were pro wrestlers with a lot of things in common and a lot of things that aren't in common. But he does what he does, and it is what it is. And yeah. I think it is what it is says all I can say. Uh, as far as guys coming back, uh, you were there for the contract signing, the, the Vince McMahon-Bret Hart deal at WrestleMania. Bret Hart's not coming back to active wrestling, of course, but he is coming back for this one match. Were you surprised to hear that Brett was going to do one more match with Vince? I was glad to hear it, you know. Yeah. Um, there was so much real animosity between those guys with everything that happened in WWE with the screw job in, in, uh, in Montreal with uh, Brett and Sean and uh, then, you know, Brett leaving. And uh, there was just a lot of animosity there. And, and uh, Brett really thinks he got screwed, not so much in the storyline, but in real life. And for him to come back and put this behind him, at some point, you know, uh, as I've, uh, you know, gone down the road a few more paces, I, I seem to be making better decisions than I did back in the day. Yeah. You know, I think uh, in, in anything in life, if you can mature and, and uh, get experience, makes you a better person or a smarter person anyway, or, or the advantage, the ability to take advantage of making better decisions. And I think, you know, enough water was under the bridge that he can finally say, okay, this is cool. I can accept this now. I can live with this. And I think it was like taking a big uh, 100-pound weight off his back. And uh, for them to, to be able to, to have closure in that in that storyline as a WWE uh, angle and closure to their real deal angle in life, the animosity sure. between them, I, I, think, I think it's a good thing. I'm looking forward to the match. I think it's going to be very entertaining. And, uh, you know, I'm glad to see Brett moving on. On that note, there were like, Times when, towards the end of your WWE run, there were reports that you walked down on this, you did that on that. Um, do you regret those decisions now, or do you are you glad that you have them to grow from? Well, you know, when I look back at, uh, man, I was uh, I was running so hard, and uh, the the level of intensity was so hot, and uh, I was just white hot in the business, and yeah. uh, I made a, a knee jerk reaction to, uh, you know, they wanted me to do a job in Atlanta. Uh, in a really non-publicized match that hadn't had enough notoriety with uh, with uh, Brock, and mm -hmm. I thought it was real piss poor business, and it was. I've always been willing to do business when it was time to do business, but that wasn't business. And when you have a guy, and uh, I never blow smoke up my own ass, but when you have a guy like me who draws big money, sure. you don't just job him out on a bullshit Monday night TV. And so I got to jazz up the language because that's something that I'm very passionate about and yeah. really comes from my heart and my guts. Uh, that being said, I, I, I shouldn't have got on an airplane and taken my ball and went home, as they said. But, you know, uh, if, when I look at if, hindsight being 2020, 
yeah, I should have went to the arena, should have talked to Vince and said, hey, you know what, I'm not doing it, but just stayed with the company. That was a year out of my life. And because of uh, the, the personality type that I am, <laughs> you know, had it not been for Jim Ross sending me a card in the mail saying, hey, if you ever want to talk, I'm here. And then I, I, I picked up my phone and we talked for two hours. And he put me back in touch with Vince and me and Vince buried, buried the hatchet. Had it not been for Jim Ross, I'd already, you know, basically told the the company to go fuck themselves. Right. Without saying that, I just, I wasn't going to have anything to do with them. So, uh, to answer your question, I would have handled that situation a lot differently today. And it would have been great had I handled it differently back then. I lost a lot of money. They lost a lot of momentum. We all lost a lot of uh, money. And the, the crowd lost uh, a, a part of the product that they love to watch. Uh, looking back on your legacy, I don't know if you can kind of separate yourself from it yet. It seems like it's been long enough, though. Can you kind of look back uh, on your career as a separate thing and, and think to yourself, where are you on whatever you want to call it, the food chain, the chain of command? Do you think you're the best, one of the best? Who do you think is, what do you think you accomplished as you a wrestler? Know, now now that I have uh, been away as long as I have, and it really took uh, looking at the, uh, the uh, Hall of Fame package that uh, Adam Panucci cut together for me, uh, works for Kevin Dunn uh, mm-hmm. in in uh, the WWE, you know, where they put all their video stuff together. And I, it took me, I, when they sent me that piece of video, uh, it was probably what, four or five minutes long, and it really encompassed a, a big part of my career, and I saw the emotion and was able to really look and understand what I did because I had the blinders on back in the day. I didn't, you know, I, I was about selling tickets. Sure. But it took, it, it took being away from the business, uh, it took me a long time just to be able to really see what I did. And, and now I get asked the legacy question or what I thought I meant to the business or where am I? And I like to keep it now that my, my new answer and the way I really feel about it, long story short, bottom line is I brought gray to a black and white world. And the last bottom line is stone cold sold tickets. Yeah. That's it. I sold tickets. I mean, and bringing gray to a black and white world is a real good way to phrase it, too. Yeah, I mean, and I, I was never a great wrestler, but I was one of the greatest wrestlers to ever step foot in a, <laughs> in a squared circle, you know? Yeah. So, and but, you know, so the bottom line is, if people want to ask me where I fit, just say, I sold tickets. Yeah. A shit pile of them. <laughs> well, for what it's worth, I talked to Ted DiBiase last week, senior, and he said you were the best of all time. For Man, that's, that's, that's Ted DiBiase, and I remember when I came into WWE uh, many years ago, you know, I was the ringmaster, yeah. and Ted DiBiase was my manager, and believe me, when uh, I was watching Mid-South and Power Pro or wherever Ted DiBiase was at, watching him work, watching him cut promos, and then for him to go in WWE and become the Million Dollar Man, mm-hmm. I'm a huge Ted DiBiase fan, and uh, matter of fact, Ted DiBiase is going into the WWE Hall of Fame this that's year, right. yep. so deservedly so, and uh, he's, a, he's a bad son of a bitch, so... Uh, if he says that, that's, that's a hell said. of a compliment. Is there anybody uh, who who's in the WWE now? Is is there any wrestler or any anything you think that can bring them back to that spot they were in when Stone Cold was at his peak? Don't know. Don't know. I don't know. Okay. I, th- I think John Cena's their number one guy right now. But man, you got to look the way that hit the, at that time. And we, you know, we hit with full intensity, and we turned the volume all the way up, and we we were able to use everything but the kitchen sink. Yeah. And these days, it's more of a PG show. And that being said, they're running strong. They're running strong, and they're running hard. And and business is good, you know, with the economy being what it is. But 
John Cena's their number one guy. You still got all the other top guys up there, but that was a special day and a special time. I was right. The rest of the ingredients were right, and we were printing money. So I, I would love to see that that next new Stone Cold come around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I hope to see it. I really do, because I, I love to see all my records smashed yeah. and watch what this new cat does and watch how he does it. But with that being said, it's going to be tough to do, but, I, but I'm looking forward to it. And finally, back to the acting thing. You know, if you if you want to be a uh, mainstream actor, all these actors are plagued with the paparazzi and the TMZ cameras everywhere they go. Is that something you're going to be able to deal with without opening a can of whoop ass? You know, I I get uh, I deal with that on a on the level that I do. You were just Not, on TMZ the other day. That was interesting. <laughs> yeah, you know, would catch me with 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 only one coffee in the morning and ask me about breast augmentation. Yeah, kind of like, uh, 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 you know, uh, let me try to come up with a good answer. Uh, Here's the way it is. I was on uh, back back when I was uh, at my most uh, high point in WWE, white hot, uh, one one of the number one uh, draws walking the planet at that time. Uh, and then when I had my uh, pile driver and I walked away from the business for 15 months, having my neck fused up, I've been on top of the world. I've had it yanked from me. Uh, from when I started in wrestling in the back end of 1989, it was the 1990 Rookie of the Year. To when I set attendance, pay-per-view, merchandise records, sold-out arena records, I was always the same guy. Sometimes I was short-tempered because I was drinking a lot and running hard and very tired, but I've always been the same guy that you're talking to now, to the guy in, right in the white-hot part of it, to the guy breaking in, in, the, in the green of the business. But that's because my parents brought me up to always keep everything in perspective and don't, don't blow shit out of proportion. I never believed all my own press, and I kept it. I kept my... Uh, Nose to the grindstone, was the first guy in the building and the last guy to leave. That's my approach to anything I do in life. I'm going to end up being a good actor. I'm on my way. I just need uh, more and more experience. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter how high I get in this next world, I'm going to be the same guy. And that's just the way I live my life. And I don't care what anybody else does. This is my deal. Uh, I've got the blinders on and I'm not racing against anybody else. I'm just trying to be the best Steve Austin I can be and in the process, staying the same damn cat. All right. Well, Steve Austin. Thank you for taking the time out. Damage, of course, on DVD now, and we appreciate your time. Thank you, man. I had fun making Damage. It's a cool movie. I'm proud of it, and I put my heart and soul into it, and it's going to get bigger and better from here. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Here is Sam Roberts. I couldn't get through the whole thing. I don't know if you could or not. I don't know. Maybe you Maybe you enjoy Maybe you enjoy hearing me go through what I was going through. Maybe it doesn't even resonate with you. I don't know, but that was me eight years, seven years ago. Feels like a lifetime ago. Just a young boy in his 20s talking to Stone Cold Steve Austin. And if you listen to that, honestly, like that's what I want you to keep in mind. This is a guy in his, I don't know, what was I, 26? Yeah, probably about 26 in that clip that we just heard. That might as well have been a 13-year-old interviewing Stone Cold Steve Austin. Hey, do you find... What's my... I I kept doing a, a young Sam Roberts impression. Do you find that that being a wrestler has helped you with being an action star? Do you think that doing stunt fighting is that is that is it you know dropping stunners is that helpful? Does it help you to know because you were a wrestler before? So does it help you to be if you excuse me I'm talking out of my nose? Does it help you to be? a stunt fighter in movie fights since you were a wrestler. Is there a correlation there? Uh, well, uh, and I mean, God bless. God bless Steve Austin 
for being a nice man in that one. I will stand by a lot of the stuff that I've done. I'll stand by plenty of it. That one? No, I'm embarrassed by it. I mean, I'm embarrassed by a lot of stuff. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff I won't stand by. But but that one specifically, I will not stand by. And I hope that, uh, I hope that it brought you joy, seeing me uh, less than perfect back in the heyday of 2010. Hey! If you want to celebrate uh, Sam Roberts as you know him right now. By the way, if you want to, if you want to know uh, what I was like way back before 2010, like in '96 uh, or so, '95, '96, I think, I was on a Nickelodeon game show called Figure It Out. I'm not lying. You want to know that? You want to see the truth? There's a photo of it. You want to see where the photo is? It's on a T-shirt at notsam.com/merch. The new ankle flipper T-shirt is up at notsam.com slash merch. You can also get the Shill Roberts Shill t-shirt, the very, very popular 8-bit Not Sam t-shirt. You can get the Sam Roberts action figure t-shirt. You can get the classic Not Sam shirt, the Sam Roberts wrestling podcast t-shirt. Whatever you want, get it at notsam.com slash merch. Get it today, and if I see you, I will give you, not only will I give you a fist bump on the street if I see you wearing one of those shirts, but it's going to explode. You know, when you fist bump and you make your hand blow up afterwards, that's what I will do for you if you pick up one of those amazing t-shirts. I would recommend it. I would I would feverishly recommend it. Uh, so, hey, a lot to talk about in the state of wrestling. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that you all joined me in the, in the state of wrestling bonus show that I put out on Friday of last week, just as news had broken. Isn't it amazing how quickly wrestling can move? There will be weeks where it feels like nothing has happened in forever. But if you skip the 45-minute bonus show that we put out on Friday, if you just listen to last week's podcast to this week's podcast, it's night and day. You're talking about a world where uh, AJ Styles and Finn Balor had never been in a ring together, wrestling each other. You're talking about a world where Kurt Angle, who knows if he was ever coming back. You're talking about a world where Roman Reigns did not have symptoms of the mumps or of viral meningitis or whatever it is, okay? You're talking about a world when the Miztourage still included Bo Dallas. Okay, a lot's changed. We were all worried. I mean, it's so funny to think about it. We were all worried about what was going to happen between Orange Demon Finn Balor and Sister Abigail. And now it couldn't be it couldn't be more more separated. It couldn't be more separated. You know, it's amazing. It's it, 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 it's it's amazing how different the landscape looks right now. I don't think anybody's even talking about Sister Abigail. It makes you wonder if Sister Abigail is going to get revisited um, when when Bray comes back. I would, I mean, I would think not, right? It, it feels like they dodged a bullet with that one. But who knows? Who knows? And who knows what's going on with Finn Balor? But uh, yeah, it was really, really interesting. And uh, based on... Based on what we thought would happen at TLC, not everything we thought would happen happened. Some of the stuff did. I think we talked about here on the podcast that Kurt may come out in a in a shield uniform instead of a singlet. Uh, well, you know what? We're going to, and if you watch that, by the way, it was on Facebook Live. Uh, the Not Sam Studio is just about done. The Not Sam Studio is just about done, and we'll be able to do a lot more of those live video shows. I may do a state of wrestling live on video every single week. Because this studio, it's going to blow your minds when I finally unveil it. it. I mean, it may be ready by next week. 
That's how soon we're talking. It's a very, very exciting time. The Not Sam Studios are about to be unleashed on the world. But before I unleash the Not Sam Studios, uh, I bring us in to the state of wrestling this week. It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. Here we are at State of Wrestling time, and I'm coming to you. I'm actually recording this, luckily, and this was as fate would have it, literally hours after seeing the premiere of ESPN's new 30 for 30 called Nature Boy. It's a it's a documentary about the life and times and career of Nature Boy Ric Flair, and I just got home from the from the premiere of it. It was a it was an amazing event. Uh, I didn't exact. I kind of thought it was just a press screening. So I just showed up thinking I'd just, you know, kind of sit in a dark theater, get to watch this movie. I was just psyched about getting to see the documentary on the big screen and get to getting to see it, you know, a week or two before it comes out. November 7th is the day that it comes out on ESPN. So you'll be able to watch it November 7th at 10 p.m. And I would recommend that everybody does. Uh, tons of people, though. This was more than a press screening. It was the full-on premiere. It was the first time that the movie had actually been shown publicly. Triple H was there. Charlotte was there, Mick Foley was there, Kurt Hawkins was there making history. It was an amazing, amazing uh, time, and I had a blast, and I thank ESPN for the invite to that thing, uh, and I, I want to tell you that this is a documentary that will not, not disappoint any of you. I couldn't see how it possibly could. I don't want to give out too many spoilers. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to try not to give out any spoilers at all. Because I think on November 7th, you guys should all, and I'm not getting paid for this, by the way. I'm just, this is just how I feel coming off of just seeing it. I think we should all, as fans, sit around the TV and watch on ESPN. Because a couple of things. Number one, the spoilers that I won't get into are mainly the people that contributed to the film. One specifically. After the documentary comes out, we can talk about it. But there is one specific person who contributes to this film and and comments, you know, about about Nature Boy Ric Flair and what Ric Flair meant to him that actually got a reaction from the audience. The audience actually like when he came on screen and started talking, it was like, "Whoa, he's he's in this?" Okay. So that was it was it was pretty cool and you'll you'll figure out who it is when it comes out. But there were two things when this thing cuz of course 30 for 30 is a, a series of of sports movies that ESPN airs. It's a series of documentaries, and they're the best. I love, there's so many good, the No Moss 30 for 30 is really good. Uh, Of course, the OJ five-part 30 for 30 that came out either earlier this year or last year was incredible. But there have been so many really, really good ones. To me, it's the best thing ESPN does, Uh, the TV network, that is. Um, So I think that... uh, uh, this falls in line with it. And when it was announced a couple years ago that Ric Flair was getting his own 30 for 30 documentary, it was it, it's a big deal because the closest thing that we wrestling fans have gotten to any 30 for 30 about WWE was the XFL doc that came out, I don't know, a year or two ago that uh, Charlie Ebersol did. And that was not that wasn't that had nothing to do with WWE. It was just except that Vince McMahon was the guy behind the XFL. ESPN for their news show E60 did a profile on NXT, and they did a, a half hour show about the Performance Center and the journey to to NXT and things like that. 
Um, but again, that, that was not a 30 for 30. This is a bigger deal. And as soon as it was announced that this was happening, two years ago they announced this was happening, I think, I was, I was blown away that it was going to get made, but immediately I, was, I had my reservations about it for a couple of reasons. Number one, the movie, as it turns out, it's, give or take, it's about an hour and a half. I don't know if I don't, you know, I wasn't timing it, but I would say it's about an hour and a half, which is what I expected. So already I'm going, okay, well, what's the, what's the story that's being told here? Because if it's just the story of Ric Flair's career as a, as a pro wrestler, how do you get that into 90 minutes and have it be something that's not just a highlight reel that we all kind of know? Because that's what I'm not interested in. I'm not interested in seeing some Ric Flair retrospective that's dumbed down for an audience that's not me, that I'm not going to get anything out of because I've been watching Ric Flair since I was a little kid. That said, it leads into my next reservation, which was this movie is being made to be aired on ESPN. It's not being made, it's not a W, this is not a WWE 24. It's very, very different. WWE, they uh, cooperated with this movie. They contributed clips and uh, superstars for interviews and things like that. You know, Triple H and Stephanie and all of they're in it, but... It's not a WWE film. They had no they had no editorial control of the movie. So I go, okay, so this is for ESPN, obviously. This is for the 30 for 30 series. And I start to wonder, I I wonder if if this is gonna be the perspective of Rick uh, the story of Ric Flair from the perspective of a sports fan. Meaning, are they gonna make this movie so mainstream that you know, they're they're baby-stepping through what pro wrestling even is. You know, a lot of people think it's all fake, but some of the action really hurts. Like, yeah, I know. Are you kidding me? Of course I know this. What is this? So just, you know, Johnny Football fan? Because that, that's always a mistake. When they... Because with wrestling, like, what makes wrestling interesting is the stories that we all find interesting. Outsiders will find them just as interesting as we do. And then, and then they'll want to kind of learn. But I've never known a dumbed-down wrestling explanation to convince anyone that doesn't already like wrestling that wrestling is cool. And for people that do like wrestling, it's too dumbed-down. They get nothing out of it. So that's what I was worried about, that this thing is going to be mainstream and it's going to be more about, like, Ric Flair's personal life and what's he doing now and he hangs out with the Cleveland Cavaliers and he loves LeBron James and and this is what his home life is like and but you know I was I I go I want to I want I want to know about the wrestler and I will tell you on both of those counts I was pleasantly surprised because the filmmaker delivered on both of those accounts it is a story about Ric Flair, the wrestler. It's all wrestling, for the most part. You know, they also get into uh, his family life, which I think is important, because they get into it from the perspective of uh, 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 of a wrestler and wrestling fans, and that being the epicenter of his life. If you heard the Charlotte interview that we did a couple weeks ago, you know that this is not a, this is not a gimmick, that, that wrestling was Ric Flair's entire life, and still is Ric Flair's entire life. You heard Charlotte say that he lost his memory when he was in the hospital. He couldn't remember who Charlotte was, but he remembered what the house did in Chicago in 1984. That's what he remembered because that was what was top of mind because that's what was important to him and still is important to him. So 
it really delivers from the perspective of a wrestling fan. This is a movie that wrestling fans are going to like. But more importantly, I believe that this movie, especially because Ric Flair very publicly just survived a medical issue that a lot of people didn't think that he would survive. So he's got this uh, second chance on life. And I think that's the way that a lot of people see him right now. This movie is going to make Ric Flair an even bigger pop culture icon. This movie is going to do what I think Ric Flair and the people around him have been trying to do with the Ric Flair brand for some time, which is it's going to remove it from pro wrestling and put it in to pop culture, put it into just the general zeitgeist of American entertainment. That's what it's going to do because there is just, when you when you watch this thing and you're going over uh, Ric Flair getting out of the 70s into the 80s, the nature boy becoming the nature boy and then going over some of those promos and stuff, it's done in such a way where you can't help but go right back to where you would have been if you weren't in the 80s thinking to yourself, God, I want to be that guy. God, do I want to be the guy who's going on TV and saying the things that he's saying? And you know why it was so effective? And it made me think about uh, where we're at with wrestling today. The reason, one of the main, many reasons why Ric Flair is regarded as highly as he is today. And this and this this movie will bring him to another level. Believe it or not, there is still more mountain for Ric Flair to climb, and this is going to put him way over the top. This is going to be that sort of crowning achievement. There it is. Here's the Ric Flair story, and, and they knocked it out of the park. But it made me realize that the reason why, to this day, Ric Flair is revered, taken seriously, looked at the way he's looked at, is because Ric Flair believed what he was saying into the camera lens. Ric Flair believed what he was saying into the microphone. And I don't care if you're uh, the WWE champion. I don't care if you're the last professional broadcaster on a pre-show. If I don't believe what I'm saying into the microphone on the pre-show, you guys at home are going to tell me on Twitter that I suck. Because it's evident. Because you can... Now, there are other reasons why you guys might tell me I suck, but that's we're not talking about that right now. But it's evident. It's evident. We know when we're listening to somebody who believes what they're saying, who lives what they're what they're talking about. When Rick, Ric Flair talked about his shoes and his cars and his house and his coats and his watches, it was all real. When he talked about the women, it was all real. That's why it resonated the way it did, because it was real life. There's this amazing movie called uh, The Prestige. It's a movie starring Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman. And it doesn't get enough credit because it came out around the same time as another movie about magic, which was terrible, called The Illusionists. The Illusionist stinks. Don't go see it. Uh, the Prestige, go out of your way to make sure that you see it. Put it in your iTunes collection. Own it. It's an amazing movie. But the, 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 the point of that movie is Hugh Jackman is this magician and he's the number one magician and he's this good looking guy and everything's slick and everything's professional he's like Hulk Hogan but then there's Christian Bale who is nipping at his heels and he doesn't have the show business and he doesn't have the looks and he doesn't have the the, the smoothness 
that that Hugh Jackman does. But he's like a magician's magician, right? He's like the Ric Flair. And throughout this movie, the Hugh Jackman character does not understand why he can't one-up this Christian Bale character until it becomes clear that the reason for that is that Christian Bale as a magician, that character, lives the act. And, And it's a big part of the movie where he goes, you have to live the act. Everything, personal life, family, friends, everything gets cast aside so that you can live the act. And you watch this movie, The Prestige, and it seems so clear. The reason The Undertaker is The Undertaker is not because he's won X number of matches or lost X number of matches or been around for so long. It's because we believe him. We believe The Undertaker. And sure, you can find some out-of-character shots if you look hard enough. He had his face as the American badass. Every now and then, his wife might post a picture on Instagram. That's all fine. Because... He's put so much work into that character. He has lived that act for so long. It is so unusual when he does anything out of character that we believe the character. We are far more familiar with that character than we are with a man named named Mark Calloway. Far more familiar. You gotta live it. You have to live the act. And there's a lot that happens these days, I think, more more than there used to be, I think in the world of pro wrestling right now, because there's an acknowledgement that fans have become as smart, quote-unquote, as they are to the business, quote-unquote, that it's almost like we the performers can give a wink. Ah, we all know we're performing. Ah, you all know I'm joking around. But Kevin Owens, Kevin Owens lives the act. Kevin Owens will curse at a kid and not apologize to the kid later. He won't check and make sure he's okay after the show. He won't. He'll continue to insult him, and then he'll insult his mother. Not because Kevin Owens is a bad guy. I'm sure Kevin Owens is a wonderful father, as a matter of fact. However, he's not a father to the people that are in the audience. He's a villain to the people that are in the audience, and he lives that act. Sami Zayn is doing the same thing at the moment. Sami Zayn on SmackDown. He changed everything. He changed his whole persona, the way he was skanking to the ring with a newfound confidence, getting getting in Shane McMahon's face. He was he was living it in that moment. He was living it. The Miz. The Miz has found a character that he can live. The Miz lives his act. Even John Cena, to an extent. John Cena has figured out his character to the extent that if you see him host the Today Show, it's not a different John Cena. It's John Cena is John Cena is John Cena. These are the guys who live it. These are the guys that you're not really worried about, like, oh, we saw a photo of him out of character, or oh, he's talking to this person or that person on Twitter. You know, it it all counts. I understand that we live in a whole different era, but all that stuff counts. You know, people are sitting there going like, oh, I didn't like uh, Raw because when SmackDown invaded Raw, the good guys and the bad guys were on the same team on SmackDown. Yeah, but if you go on half their Instagrams, they're hanging out together on the European tours, you know? All of it counts. All of it counts. The Bullet Club is 
the hottest faction in pro wrestling right now. One of the reasons, one of the many reasons, aside from being very, very talented athletes, all of them, is that we believe that they're best friends. We believe that they are fighting, you know, from the bottom up. They're punching up at WWE. We believe all this cool stuff, and we believe that the things that they're doing that we've seen before is not them ripping anybody off. We believe that they are legitimate fans of this world that we all kind of worship, and that the things they do, whether they're telling somebody to suck it, or throwing up their two sweets, or or super kicking, or doing other things that we've seen before, all of those things are an homage to things and people and events that we also appreciate. We believe it all. They're living the act. We believe that if we see Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks hanging out together, number one, we believe that they would hang out together, and number two, we believe that when they do, whether there's a camera on them or not, it's just like one of their YouTube shows. We believe it. And that, I think, is what everybody, everybody who wants to be successful in this world, they need to adopt this thing of living their act. You don't see photos of Brock Lesnar fraternizing with anybody. You don't. You see Brock Lesnar as the beast. He introduces the beast. He pronounces the beast. There he is. You know? Braun Strowman, thank God he's cursing out fans on the internet for bringing up the fact that maybe he used to hang out with Adam Rose every now and then. Because otherwise, you know, and he's got to stop that too. And he did. You know, now he lives this thing. And there's an uphill battle for him, but it's true. You know, Jinder Mahal should be in a, in a suit and a turban everywhere that he goes. Dean Ambrose should always be kind of crazy everywhere that he goes. You know, I think when Alexa Bliss does interviews, I don't think it would be crazy if she was kind of a brat to the people that were interviewing her. I, same way I think Kevin Owens should kind of be a dickhead to people that are interviewing him because that's part of living the act, you know? That's part of the magic that would go on. Watch some of the Arsenio. Go on YouTube and find, like, uh, appearances on the Arsenio Hall show and the Regis and Kathy Lee show that some of the WWF then superstars did in the late 80s and early 90s. Coming out in full gimmick on these talk shows. Tights. Rick Rude and Bobby Heenan. Rude wearing the robe and tights with Kathy Lee's face on it. You know, Hogan coming out. Well, he didn't wear his little yellow tights, but he always wore spandex. Macho Man in full character. Like, that stuff counts. And, and, and as ridiculous as it is, and probably difficult for the, for the superstars themselves to pull this off, because all they want to do is have an adult conversation at some point, I'm sure. But if they live the act, man, people buy into it. Boy, did people buy into it with Ric Flair. And that's one of the things that makes him so special. He lived the act more than probably anybody. He portrayed a character that was the man that everybody wanted to be, and he decided to become that character. IRL. In real life. So that that, that was my kind of takeaway from the film. I'm, I'm sure you all will watch it when it comes out on television um, and make a point to, because it's really, really a special film. Coming out of Raw this week, so we'll talk. We should talk a little bit, a bit about TLC. I thought that TLC was was a decent pay per view. 
I thought that most of the undercard matches were actually really, really good. I thought the two women's matches were quite good, and I thought AJ Styles versus Finn Balor was a terrific match. I thought those those three matches, and the Cruiserweight tag match was actually really, really good too. The four really solid matches on that undercard. You know, the Enzo match was what it should have been, I suppose. You know, it wasn't this this catch as catch can classic, but it was it was what the Enzo character needed that match to be. And then the last match is where I think the pay per view fell apart for a lot of people. The uh, Kane and Braun and Cesaro and Sheamus and the Miz versus the Shield with Kurt Angle. I think that's where people fell apart because the, it was a crazy, crazy match. I mean, craziness ensued. You've got chairs coming down from the ceiling, falling on Braun Strowman. Then he gets up. Then he gets crushed in a in a garbage truck. And I mean, if we're not seeing the human incarnation of, oh my God, they killed Kenny, I don't know what's going on because it's the second time vehicular manslaughter has been committed to Braun Strowman on a pay-per-view in WWE. I don't know how the guy keeps surviving it, but somehow he does. And I think we can all be in agreement that coming off of that pay-per-view, Braun Strowman is a good guy. I've been saying it forever but it's pretty obvious to me that's the only way to go with this dude. Um, so I didn't, I mean, I didn't, you, it wasn't a, a great match by any stretch, but I thought there were fun parts to it. You know, I, I wasn't upset watching it. I just thought it was kind of ridiculous. You know, I thought it was just kind of a, a crazy, silly match. And it you kind of have to do that, right? You can only do so much Shield stuff because now you're missing Roman Reigns. And still, it's five on three. So you have to do things in a certain way where the bad guys aren't going to look ridiculous getting beat up even though they're, they are they outnumber the good guys. And that the good guys don't just sit there getting their butts kicked for, you know, an hour because we want to believe in our heroes, right? So it, it was what it was. My real... Um, Bummer was just that my thing didn't happen, which is usually how I feel. I think that's how a lot of us feel. We book the pay-per-views in our head, and then when the pay-per-views don't go our way, we go, eh, it sucked. <laughs> but um, I still think, you know, I don't think The Miz wins enough matches, to tell you the truth. I think, I, I get why this might have happened two years ago, but The Miz being as good as he is right now, The Miz, more than a lot of people should be in the conversation for either WWE or Universal Champion. And I've been saying that since before he got moved to Raw. That that is a conversation that The Miz should be in. I'm not saying that he should be the one to beat Brock Lesnar, but he should be in contention for that championship. And he sh- whoever beats Brock Lesnar should be eventually defending it against The Miz. But in order for The Miz to get there, I think he needs to win more matches. And I just love the idea, the dynamic between Kurt Angle, because you could have had Kurt Angle pinned without the shield being damaged at all and without a Kurt Angle return being hurt. I think it was very smart to put Kurt Angle in the vest because it saves the Kurt Angle singlet debut for later, which, you know, and like I said in the the bonus podcast, I think that when Kurt Angle comes back uh, to do a singles match at some point, it'll be super special. And I've got a, th- a theory for Survivor Series that we'll talk about. But, um, yeah, I just, I, I, I think that nobody would have gotten hurt if The Miz had beaten Kurt Angle. 
And I love the idea of Kurt Angle trying to boss The Miz around on Raw and The Miz reminding him that he pinned him. Because it would be schmozzy, you know what I mean? It would be Kane choke slamming him and then, you know, the bar coming in and, and screwing him up. And then, then The Miz comes in and sneaks a pin against Kurt Angle and we go, whoa, what happened just then? And it's, it's you know, people would be surprised by it. And it I just like the dynamic it sets up, as I said. Um, but regardless, uh, it didn't happen. And I understand why. I guess, you you know, you want to leave on a positive note and have the good guys win and Kurt Angle's back and uh, yada, yada, yada. I believe firmly that the Survivor Series, you know, we'll get into to Raw a little bit. First of all, AJ Styles was looking very comfortable on Raw, wasn't he? On on the pay-per-view, I really enjoyed the fact that he was wearing all blue. And I thought the match was amazing, as I said. It was really, really good. I wish it had more time. But I love that he was wearing all blue from head to toe. I thought it was a great little detail. But on Raw, wearing the red camo and kind of fitting right in and being showcased extraordinarily well... I think that that was just done to add a little credit to SmackDown, but still, he looked very, very comfortable on Raw, and I would not be surprised if AJ is on Raw much sooner than later. I I think that AJ probably, as a man, not as a character, but as a man, probably realized, look, you know, Raw is the A show, it just is what it is, and he took advantage of the time that he had there, and really, really showed up, and... Yeah, I I think that he he proved a lot of things to a lot of people, and that he probably will be on Raw uh, before too too long. Next time, the next moment they have that it makes sense, I, I bet they'll put AJ Styles over on Monday Night Raw. So they started setting up for uh, the Survivor Series on Raw, and I kind of felt that the just introducing. All the matches for Survivor Series at the top of Raw was a little bit low energy. I thought there there was a lot there to dissect that we didn't really get to dissect. I loved the idea. I liked the idea of the champions fighting each other and then the five-on-five matches happening as well. They have not said specifically if any of the matches are for any championships. I think because nothing was said... The, the prevailing theory is that these are all exhibition, non-title matches. And for the most part, I don't have a problem with that. I don't think that the title should be uh, joined up. You know, I think that the show should have separate champions across the board. But all that said, man, did Conrad convince me last week that Jinder Mahal should beat Brock Lesnar and get both titles. I think Jinder, they should just all in. Every pay-per-view since Jinder Mahal has won the WWE Championship, people have said this is he should lose it now, he should lose it now, he's not the real champion, da-da-da. I think they go all in, really throw everybody for a loop, and have Jinder beat Brock Lesnar and hold on to both titles. You've still got time for WrestleMania to create something cool with Roman Reigns, if that's where you want to go. You know, you got a lot of time. Might as well shake it up a little bit. Last year... Survivor Series is where things started to get shaken up. Last year, you know, Brock Lesnar walked into Survivor Series as the as the Universal Champion, I think. Right? Yeah. Isn't that when Goldberg beat him? He beat him for the title, right? Or no? Maybe, I don't remember. No, Kevin Owens was the champion still. Right? Oh, gosh. My memory's fading. But regardless, 
No, Goldberg was the champion. I was right the first time. Uh, Goldberg, that Survivor Series is where Goldberg beat Brock Lesnar last year. The year, two years before that, I guess, is where Sting made a surprise appearance. Survivor Series is that sleeper pay-per-view. Survivor Series is that pay-per-view that was one of the big four that kind of fell off. And over the past five years or so, I think WWE has been working uh, vehemently to make it a big four show again. And I think that in order to do that, they pull out all the stops. They have big surprises happen. You know, WrestleMania and SummerSlam both kind of sell themselves. The Royal Rumble match and the fact that it leads to WrestleMania is a is a big seller, and it's it's never lost any steam. But Survivor Series is the one where it's like, it feels like it's the furthest from WrestleMania, I guess, because it's it's SummerSlam is like bouncing off of WrestleMania. But then Survivor Series happens after that, so you're not even really thinking about WrestleMania anymore. And then it's still so long until WrestleMania, anything could happen at Survivor Series and it won't have any effect on anything. So I think that's one of the reasons why it's tough for people to consider it a big four. But I don't think it's impossible, and I think you keep showing up with crazy stuff. Keep surprising people at Survivor Series shows, and and that's how you build it up. And I think... I do think that the brand split has been done well. I don't know that the talent has been distributed well, but the concept, conceptually, the brand split has been done very, very well, I believe. And so having the two brands on one show is a selling point and does make these shows bigger than they were before. So so there is something to that. And and I, I, I like the concept of Raw and SmackDown being at war one time a year. Because even when the brands are together, you really don't see Raw versus SmackDown matches happening very much at WrestleMania or or SummerSlam or shows like that. So Survivor Series is the one time a year it'll happen. And I like that. You know, it gives you potential matches that you wouldn't think you would see anytime soon. So Miz versus Baron Corbin... I think is going to take a little bit of work to make that match matter because Miz and Baron Corbin are are both great bad guys. So I almost wouldn't want to waste them against each other because they're both real bad guys too. They're not bad guys that everybody's just waiting for to turn. You know when you have bad guys that are so good, it's like, okay, it's time for you to be a good guy and we really just want to watch your matches so we can boo you but we're actually cheering you. Miz and Baron Corbin are legit bad guys in the sense that we boo them, but we don't want to change the channel. And so I don't know. I don't know that I would. That that is a weirdly matched match. But I I like the concept of Intercontinental versus United States Champion. Um, I, I Alexa Bliss versus Natty is a fun one. I think that's a cool match. That that that's that's a, that's a match that I want to see. Uh, and I think that. Seth and Dean versus the Usos is going to steal the show. I think Seth and Dean as a tag team are just, they're incredible and they've better than, they're better than they've been in a long time. And the Usos, as I said before, are my favorite things in WWE right now. So I think that match is going to steal the show. The question is, what happens uh, with the five-on-five Survivor Series match? Who, who's on from Raw? Who's on from SmackDown? You could have Finn Balor on Team Raw, 
except he lost to Kane. Oh my God. I don't know what that was. You have a guy... It's always weird to me, like, he beat AJ Styles clean in the center, which is what I said should happen on the on the on the bonus state of wrestling last week. I think that that's good. But the last thing that I thought was that Finn Balor beating AJ Styles was just a move to make Kane look stronger. Kane beating Finn Balor the way he beat him was like I know maybe on paper they were like, well, we're going to give him three choke slams. So then it's like, who could survive three choke slams? It's like the choke slam isn't that devastating of a move anymore. A lot of people have choke slammed a lot of people. I've done a choke slam, okay? Look it up on YouTube. It's almost as embarrassing as uh, the interview was on today's podcast. But to have Finn Balor lose after three choke slams, it's like, oh my God. You know, people talk about him having the Brock Lesnar match. You think Finn Balor's going to get the Brock Lesnar match? He can't beat Kane? I don't think so. And I like Kane. I like what's going on with Kane right now. I like the return of the big red machine. I just don't want... I I cringed when I heard Finn Balor's music play. I'm like, no, because of course that was the moment when Kane beat somebody because we want to start building him up for this match with Braun Strowman. I love that. I wish it was... Obviously, it can't be right now. I worry that we're never going to get the Roman Reigns Kane confrontation because I think that Kane avenging his brother, you know, reminding everybody that the Undertaker and Kane are brothers. I think that 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 is potential right there for something really really cool. I think that that that, that is something that should be done. I worry that Kane's just back for one story and Braun Strowman is that story. I don't mind Braun Strowman taking out Kane. I just wish Roman Reigns were going to do it at some point. And I do mind if Finn Balor has to get run over in the process. I mean, I don't know why you do that to poor poor Finn. Poor Finn Balor. He thought he had escaped a uh, certain death with this Sister Abigail thing, and then he gets run over by Kane. It's not right. And I don't understand. I, I guess, you know, in that case, if I had known that Finn Balor was going to get squashed to Kane on Raw... I probably would have just said, have AJ beat Finn Balor. I mean, if you're going to have Finn Balor get beat, why not have AJ beat him? You want to make SmackDown look stronger, right? It's tough to make it look strong. I mean, you got you got all these good guys on Raw. Might as well make AJ look like the real deal. But no, you have, you have Finn Balor beat AJ, and then Kane beat Finn Balor, and it's almost like, who's doing what now? What difference does any of it make? Um, but in terms of the Raw and SmackDown teams... Um, Obviously, you're going to have Randy Orton on on the SmackDown side. Uh, I would imagine Shinsuke Nakamura will beat uh, Kevin Owens on Raw. So you'll have Nakamura and Randy Orton on the SmackDown side. I firmly, and I would imagine you'll have, well, The Shield, da-da-da. Maybe if Roman Reigns is back, he'll be on the Raw team. If not, you know, you'll probably, well, The Miz is doing, maybe you'll have Sheamus and Cesaro on the Raw team, because obviously you're going to have good guys with good guys and bad guys with bad guys. I wouldn't be surprised if Jason Jordan ends up on the Raw team. I don't know that he should, but I wouldn't be surprised if he does. I'll tell you what I would put money on right now. Team Raw's, and I don't think this was said on television. I I believe this is an original thought. I don't, but it seems pretty obvious to me. Team Raw's captain will uh, will be Kurt Angle, and Team SmackDown's captain will be Shane McMahon. 
I believe Kurt Angle and Shane McMahon will wrestle in the in that match at Survivor Series. They will they will be their team captains and they will wrestle in the match. And I think that that's cool having Shane and Kurt Angle in there and then you got four guys four of the other guys on each side. Um I think that, that that's fun. That's cool to me. I just uh I I you know there was a lot of criticism about the angle on Raw. The angle angle, the Kurt Angle angle. The the of course the uh Raw under siege angle and how, you know, Raw did not avenge that, which which is okay. I think that they will. But the 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 commentary for it came in with some people thought that it looked cheesy. Some people loved it. Some people thought it was awesome. Some people thought it looked cheesy. Some people thought it hurt more than it helped because you had good guys and bad guys on the SmackDown side working together and where did this all come from? I didn't necessarily have a problem with SmackDown working together or attacking Raw. To me, it was like athletes on a team. It was athletes on a team that are simply defending their team. It was you guys just found out that at Survivor Series, it's that brand versus this brand. What are you going to do? And they go in and take the first shot. I could see that. That didn't bother me. And the good guys working with bad guys thing, you know, they the Usos I don't think were there. Uh, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn weren't there. The one that people really pointed out was Dolph Ziggler and Bobby Roode. But I'm not sitting there, honestly, like, looking at this Dolph Ziggler-Bobby Roode story as, like, you know, this grand example of storytelling. It's just the thing that Bobby Roode is doing right now. And they're, 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 and, and Dolph Ziggler is kind of doing something new. Like, it's not, it's not a thing where I'm going, oh my God, there is real personal issues between these two guys. At no point did that happen. So I don't mind seeing Bobby Roode and Dolph Ziggler on the screen together defending SmackDown together. That didn't bother me. You know, I didn't think it was like this amazing thing. I didn't think it was NWO cool. I didn't think it was as cool as the original Nexus takeover. And I'm talking about just the first night. Not where the angle went, but just the first night. I, I thought that it was it was cool. It was unpredictable. I wouldn't have seen it coming. It was something to talk about. It visually looked cool. And it was something that we're going to do for four weeks. Right? It was something that we're doing to sur- tell Survivor Series. So, what do you do that pits brands against each other. That is in it, this is not this was not done on Raw so that SmackDown and Raw could be in competition for the next year. This was done on Raw so that you have something to fuel you for four weeks. And you know, maybe maybe next week Raw is gonna come and attack SmackDown and maybe you know it, it and that's fine. Have them attack each other a little bit. I, I, it, to me, it was it was kind of reminiscent of the invasion, the WCW and ECW versus WWE, in the sense that, you know, it it wasn't bad, but I wasn't sitting there like losing my mind over the invasion. I don't think it was a classic storyline by any stretch of the imagination. In principle, it is. Conceptually, the idea that WCW is going to come and attack WWE is amazing, but in terms of execution in terms of who was there, in terms of where it happened and everything, like, it wasn't, it wasn't great, 
But I wasn't sitting there going like, this sucks. I was like, oh, okay. I guess that's what's going on. And that's how I felt about Raw. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, all the SmackDown guys coming in. I thought it was weird. It was the first time I saw Seth and Dean uh, jump the guys backstage. And Seth and Dean were wearing their vests. And Kurt Angle wasn't around. And obviously, Roman Reigns wasn't around. Um, And I was like, what are those guys doing in vests? There's supposed to be three of them. It was the first time I thought it was weird. I was like, why are Seth and Dean wearing their shield gear if there's just the two of them? You know? Wait for Roman to come back before you put the gear on. Um... So yeah, that 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 that's as far as the women go. I think that uh, Alicia Fox had one of the best weeks in a long time, or or the, ha, is having one of the best moments. I best I guess it's been a couple weeks. I kind of love the idea that she's the captain of Team Raw because it's unpredictable and because she's doing really fun stuff in this crazy character. I'm really enjoying what Alicia Fox is doing. But when this women's uh, revolution thing happened, it was like. Oh my God, here comes Becky Lynch and Charlotte and Sasha and Bailey. All the NXT chicks are coming and it's going to change women's wrestling. And it did, and it was effective. But I watch this show. And at this moment, Asuka has come to completely take that from them. In this moment, as I watch that show, regardless of... of where she gets put or how she gets treated or whatever. When you just look at this woman perform, when you look at how she looks like, when you look at what her face does, how she presents herself, everything about her from top to bottom. Asuka is the woman to beat in terms of performance in the WWE right now. Asuka is the woman to beat. I hope that they save the Charlotte-Asuka match. If it's me, Charlotte versus Asuka is your WrestleMania women's match. And I understand by then it'll be Charlotte as the SmackDown women's champion versus Asuka as the Raw women's champion. But imagine that. It's champion versus champion. Maybe it's title versus title. And it's Asuka with her undefeated streak on the line, with her title on the line, taking on Charlotte, who is described as already being the best women's wrestler of all time that is a quote that's been attributed to charlotte and i'm paraphrasing it it's not a direct quote but regardless that is your match charlotte versus oscar and oscar is the woman that all other women should be looking at like okay that's the level i need to be competing on i do wonder i wouldn't be surprised if oscar takes part in the in the raw i would hope that oscar is going to be part of the raw survivor series team and if she is, you know, that's a lot. If Asuka is a part of the Raw Women's Survivor Series team, then you've got nine other women that are all going to be working on how do we not get outshined by Asuka. That's really how I feel. That's how I feel based on, on what Asuka's done in her two matches with Emma. I'm, I'm super optimistic. I am super high on Asuka right now. Um... So yeah, that's where it's going. Like I'm not I'm not uh I'm not dismayed by the way we're going into Survivor Series, but I think there's still there's still quite a bit of work to do. And I think that's okay. We got time. We got 3 weeks. We came in strong. You know, we've got a real strong idea. A lot stronger than we came into TLC. We have a really strong idea of what Survivor Series looks like. 
But I think you're going to have to put a lot more effort into promoting some of these matches than you have so far. And I think that you've got plenty of time to do it, so it's not going to be too big of a deal. Um, one of the big stories this week outside of WWE was Jeff Jarrett, and it and and that story, this story expanded throughout the week. But Jeff Jarrett being fully removed from Impact Wrestling altogether. So, of course, Jeff Jarrett comes into Impact Wrestling, and he rebrands it, and uh, Global Force is what Impact kind of becomes. And then, kind of out of nowhere, we just hear that Global Force is going back to Impact, which, by the way, they've gone through like four sets of title belts. I'm sorry, championship titles uh, in the last year or so. But TNA is going back to Impact, and Jeff Jarrett is not going to be in charge. He's just going to be on a consultant basis. And then, you know, we heard some rumors, and this week was not a good week for Jeff Jarrett. So first, we find out that Jeff Jarrett and everything Global Force has been fully removed from Impact Wrestling. Jeff Jarrett has been let go. Global Force, has they've completely seized their ties. We're right back to strictly Impact Wrestling. And, and, and Jeff Jarrett had a quote out there that said it's because, you know, Impact Wrestling is out of money. But then you started hearing reports about Jeff Jarrett having some problems with drinking, maybe. And I don't know. I think that I think it's just drinking, but, you know, I don't know for sure. And I don't think anybody, aside from him, Jeff himself, really knows for sure. Uh, then I read that, you know, there was a promoter this week that was complaining about the state that Jeff Jarrett was in when he showed up to the show. And there was video that came out of Jeff Jarrett kind of seeming intoxicated at his match. Finally, as of press time, I read that Jeff Jarrett has checked himself into a rehab center, and I really hope he gets better, because Jeff Jarrett's pretty—I think Jeff Jarrett is is underrated with how much he's been able to accomplish in this world outside of the WWE. Jeff Jarrett is one of the very few people who left the WWE, went to WCW, and after WWE— uh, WWE purchased WCW, Jeff Jarrett never popped up in WWE. He never had the benefit of having that machine behind him, and he was able to get TNA started and get him really, really rolling to the point that it's still, the company as a wrestling company still exists, which is a big, big deal. But he's, he's, he's he has done a lot. He has, he has not only survived in this complicated world of pro wrestling, but he has prospered and he's evolved, you know, and I, and, I, and I think he deserves a lot of credit for what he's done in the ring. I just hope he can get his personal stuff figured out because especially these days, it happens less, I think, in the world of wrestling than it used to. And so when it does happen, it's almost like, oh, man, that's that's bad. That's not good. Before, it was almost like, ah, oh, boys will be boys. But now it's like, no, nah, man, people aren't really doing that stuff anymore. So I get I get kind of upset when I read uh, guys that's happening to guys, especially somebody like Jeff Jarrett. So we really hope for the best for Jeff Jarrett and uh, and uh, hope that he gets whatever help that he may need where he's at. I think that's going to uh, about sum it up for State of Wrestling this week. I appreciate all you guys being there. Don't forget to uh, rate the podcast five stars over on iTunes and subscribe to the deal and go to notsam.com slash merch 
for all your Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast t-shirt needs. Uh, Until next week, this has been Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And subscribe for free to listen every week to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. For the ones standing guard, for the eagle-eyed, for the knights in shining armor, and for all those who support them, we are Granger, your experienced safety partner. Offering supplies and solutions for every industry. Committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com slash safety, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash blue wire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.